Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Emo Breezy Podcast. I'm Andy Little, here with my co-host, Drew Cano. Drew? Good day. We've got two great guests. We'll let them introduce themselves, and then we'll get started. I'm Jen Repencheck. And I'm Zach Repencheck, Jen's roommate. So we have Rep and Shack Squared here, which we're excited to have. And but just to be clear, since we're talking about roommates, like, I mean, brother and sister, or this is like husband and wife, or or is it just the answer is yes? And, and I'm cool with any of the three, right? We are not brother and sister. Okay, We cool. are married. <laughs> All right. Just, Thank you for clarifying Just that. in case anyone didn't get the roommate just reference. Just the audio listening is like, they got a brother and sister on the podcast? No, they are married. They have two kids, and we are excited that they are here. They're actually the local Philly people, which we appreciate. We are recording in Philadelphia. So we all know the literature on our specialty when it comes to burnout. It's not great. It's not pretty. There's no easy fixes. There's no easy solutions. We've been kind of on this like slow, whether you look at as an uptick or a downtick, we're either on a slow like downtick to ruining our ourselves or on a slow uptick to have more burnout. It's not good. So I wanted to bring together the four of us to talk about how do we combat that with this idea of maintaining energy and happiness in our jobs. Because as we look at the literature, like I looked at it recently, and it's the things they talk about, those are all things that happen almost on a daily basis. Like they talk about the top five reasons of burnout. I'm like, that happens, that happens. But I still enjoy going to work. And I know a lot of people still enjoy going to work. And I feel like although we are really good at messaging about the burnout and the things that are wrong, we don't do enough to educate people on how to maintain positivity, maintaining good energy at work, and not having all the the badness that exists, like ruin ourselves or ruin our ruin our careers. So that's the the question. How do we do that? Or how do you go about doing it? And then we can talk from there. So for me, emergency medicine, our specialty is exciting in that it's something new every day. Our job is never basically the same job twice. I always knew that I was going to need a job that, that was going to have some sort of variation and just wasn't going into work and, and doing the same thing every day. So I think at times stepping back and being cognizant of that and and appreciating that and not getting used to the fact that what you see every day is is a mystery and and I think that's great. The other aspect of my particular career and everybody who does something different in emergency medicine needs to find the thing that energizes them obviously. Working with residents, being in an academic setting, being in a teaching hospital is the thing that makes emergency medicine that takes it to the next level for me and, and keeps me from being burnout and keeps my energy level up is being surrounded by people who are in the process of of learning a specialty that I've come to love over the years. So I initially worked at Temple full-time as faculty, right out of residency, also at Temple, right out of med school, also at Temple. And so I was there for a long time. That's where I met my roommate here. And uh, I actually really suffered from burnout a few years ago. And I loved teaching and was really struggling with the style of learner changing. And I felt like I was having a hard time adapting and adjusting my teaching style to that. And on top of that, as you mentioned, we have two pretty young kids. And I was very busy with that at home. So I was exhausted. And I really struggled with how to find the joy to find the energy to come to work. And so I left full-time academic emergency medicine and moved to per diem work. And I still work at Temple, which is great because I still have the opportunity to teach. I really love that patient population. And it really is now such a joy to go and work there. And I work in two other community hospitals in Philadelphia. And having something new, something new to learn, a way to change my practice has been really 
reinvigorating for me as an emergency medicine physician to kind of spread my wings a little bit and do something different. And I think that, you know, hopefully we maintain that opportunity in our specialty to have multiple different places and opportunities to practice clinical emergency medicine. But that's been really nice for me to try something a little bit different. Yeah, our relationship is actually a pretty good example of how different people are going to find different things about the same job that energizes them. For me, the the non-clinical stuff, the the administrative tasks, the academic work reinvigorates me and and keeps me feeling like my job is balanced. I was going to say, this is, we're an audio-only podcast, but as Zach is saying that, Jen is just shaking her head like I do. But Zach's so excited. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. The man loves email. <laughs> he loves a schedule. It is absolutely unbelievable to me. He'll be like, I have to go and work on some admin stuff. I have some emails to respond to with a glint of joy in his eye. I was screening residency applicants moments before I walked over to join you guys from this podcast. It's the gig. It's what's huge, exciting. Huge nerd. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. First of all, Zach, I, I do a lot of admin, you know, like a 50-50 academic admin versus clinical. And that's been a really good balance. You're both talking on a more macro level, and I think that's really important. I'm going to look at it on a micro level, which is the way I think I maintain energy is finding something each day or maybe it's it's each week or each couple of days that I'm excited about that is ramping me up. Sometimes that's work-related. And sometimes it's not work-related, but the thing is, if there's work in between the thing I'm really excited about, I use that excitement to carry me into a shift and, and try to maintain that positivity. Like, hey, I'm going uh, – a couple weeks ago, my wife and I went on a – just a two-day, went to a concert in Maryland, music festival thing. And so the, for the days leading up to that at work, it was, I'm super excited to do this, and I'm going to be excited at work because in a couple days, I get to go. Or it's the thing with my kids. Or sometimes it is the thing at work, right? I do look forward to reviewing residency applications. I look forward to some of the meetings I have. I look forward to some of the projects I have. And so facing it on almost a, as facing it on a day-to-day -day basis and maintaining energy day-to-day -day allows me to keep energy up and momentum up in general and try not to get into that burnout. And then when that energy isn't there, it's assessing why. Is it because I don't have that thing to look forward to, which means I need to get something on the calendar, right? Whatever it is, work-related, home-related, or is it that the things that maintain my wellness and my energy have fallen off, right? I've worked a bunch of really weird shifts and I haven't slept. I haven't seen my kids in a couple of days because there's one or two shifts that can really mess up how often I see them. I've had to do a lot of work with Andy recently, which is a real energy suck for me. You know, like things like that, I have to, he's cracking up as, as we're looking at each other. So listeners, it's all good. But uh, no, like coming to ASAP and seeing Andy and I hadn't seen him in a couple months and being with a bunch of people I hadn't seen was energizing to me. I was looking forward to it. There was excitement there. So I find that the the micro leads into the macro. And then when the two aren't meshing, you have to do that analysis as to why. The question I wanted to go to next is what is your warning system or what are the bells that go off in your head? Because Jen, you brought up, you just left for a little bit and kind of changed your clinical practice. What were the warning signs for you when that happened? I'm usually pretty laid back. And I think that anyone who's worked with me would say that Jen's pretty chill. And I was getting very crusty and very snappy. And I'm sure that my personality did nothing but sparkle at home. But I did feel myself being a little crusty, a little snappy at home. And 
for me, that's a red flag. If I'm getting bothered by little things, and I know that there are some people who are really detail-oriented and the lab not having their blood work returned on time or little things like that really do just upset them as a person. I'm typically not that person. And so for me, when stuff that I would normally say, it's fine, let's find a workaround, when I start getting fired up and ranting about it, that to me is a red flag that something's off either on the micro or the macro level. And then over time, that was what really led to us having a discussion about what we needed to do to get my burnout under control. Yeah, I recall. My sparkling personality. I recall your sparkling personality. And obviously, if you've been crusty or salty in any way, I've never noticed. But no, but I do recall the day that we had the discussion where I finally was like, you said for the hundredth time, I should go per diem. And I was like, well, do it. Do it today. Let's do it. Because I could tell that those things that you were describing, the the aspects of being you're always irritated by certain things I do, of course, but being irritated by things that other people did is rare is rare for you. So I definitely can recognize that too. For me, I mean, similar type of thing. So much of my career is wrapped around being a residency educator and as an associate program director dealing with residents. I can find that if I'm not experiencing the joy of spending time with a learner, whether it's a medical student or a resident where, you know, in my brain, I'm thinking, man, it would just be so much easier if I could just go see this patient myself and not have to talk about it with somebody and go through all those steps. Those are the times where I, I realize I need to take a step back and, and reflect because that is my job. My job is to sit and talk through the case as deep as we need to go. So if if I'm feeling like that's not what I want to be doing in that moment, then that's a, a sign to me that time to take a deep breath and think about things a little bit. I think that's a great red flag. I have a similar one with my children too. You know, if I'm lacking patience with my children, I have a 10-year-old and a six-year-old, they need a lot of patience. And if I'm taking that struggle out, but then for the physician that doesn't do academics, I think the equivalent is always being angry at the waiting room or that next patient you have to see. I mean, you're there to see patients and to take care of patients, whether it's a true emergency or if it's not, and we can have that conversation another day of what that leads to. But but if you can't find joy and purpose and walking into that next room and you're just angry about every task, then then that's the red flag, right? You have to pull back. That's the same check with me is with residents, right? If if I am not excited or can find meaning in a learner as much as they may be struggling or they may be succeeding, then I got to find something. Yeah. For me, it's very similar to where I'm usually, I think on shift, I'm usually very supportive. I'm very, hey, you should, let's go talk about the patient. Let's work through a differential. And then I'll get kind of be like, you should have known that. Like I say things like you should have known that. Can't believe you did that. Like I have a couple phrases where it's just like, ooh, let me, I'll, I'll be back. Like I, <laughs> I got, I got to go for a walk. I got to get a Diet Coke. I got, something's got to change. I got to go call somebody. Like something needs to happen. I need a little five minute break. But then if those happen a couple shifts in a row, it's like, like Drew mentioned, I've got to look at my calendar and say, when can I find the time to go do something that will bring me enough, whatever it is, whether it's joy to where I can, you know, reset the situation. So when you realize that like you're there, what are your recovery methods? So I feel like that's the, that you, we've talked about what, what it looks like. We've talked about when we notice it, what do you do to recover from that? Well, I highly recommend living in a household that has another emergency physician in it. If you can, if you can swing that, that I, I found that to be incredibly, but seriously, the having an automatic sounding board of someone who, when I'm frustrated by something, understands exactly where that frustrating is, frustration is coming from is, is a pretty like invaluable thing. We've gotten pretty good at 
knowing when to kind of let the other person vent and just get it off their chest. I'm so sorry. That's so horrible. I know exactly what that feels like. It's really very powerful to hear from your partner. And when to say like, hey, you're a little bit spicier than this situation seems to call for. Or like, let's ramp this up. I'll go get the pitchfork. You grab the torch. (laughs) It's nice to have someone who really does understand. And in our case, because we have worked at the same place together, like, I know all the characters, right? So I know I know who the villains are. Who, no, there's no villains at Temple, but you know who all of the colleagues are. And for me, being able to vent really has helped so, so, so much to be able to go home to someone. Now, if you're not in a built-in situation where they know exactly how frustrating the blood bank can be, I, I think that it's a little bit harder to really get someone as fired up as you are about the blood bank if they don't work in your emergency department with you. But you know, certainly having a partner or a trusted someone to get all of that off of your chest without them trying to give you a solution is so valuable for me. We love you, Blood Bank. Please send us those PRBCs as quickly as possible. Please release the blood. I swear I I I put the order incorrectly. I am taking, you know, so much reassurance that it's the lab and blood bank ubiquitous across the emergency medicine world. They are terrible everywhere. That is the thing that we focus our our angst on. We brought the blood. I needed it an hour ago. The patient's dead. (laughs) They're dead. Oh. (laughs) In fact, blood bank was the only time I have actively sworn at somebody else on a phone in the emergency department. I regret that. I apologize, blood bank, but, but. But uh, but you also deserved it. Do your job. So it's funny to bring up having somebody with the same perspective. I have found a lot of solace in actually calling people that don't. So I'm number five of six kids. And so I've got two siblings that I lean on pretty heavily when I get this way. And I call them and it's my two sisters. And they don't do anything with medicine. Um, but they are really good at listening and being like, that sounds t-. like they, they say enough of the right things to where I'm like, okay, I, I'm allowed to vent. I'm allowed to tell them. And then my older sister, I love her to death because she'll be like, yeah, that sounds bad. But. Uh, that that happens where I work. Like she reminds me that it's not just an emergency medicine thing. Most of the things we get cranky about are ubiquitous across specialties or across jobs, to where everybody has that one part of their their one part of their job that isn't efficient. The one person at work that just makes them want to strangle them. Like a lot of those things are very similar. So for me, it's, I find a lot of solace in using my sisters as those people that I can call and be like, "I need to unload. Are you okay if we do that?" And my sister says, "Locked and loaded. Go for it." And then I do it, and then she's that sucks. If you're looking for reassurance, that sucks. I'm so sorry. But if you're looking for a little bit of perspective, I deal with the same. And then she tells me a story about work and I'm like, I feel better to know that it's not just me and not just emergency medicine. Yeah. I think the bottom line is you need a support system, right? You need to find the, who your allies are going to be, whether it's someone who works the same job as you and understands what you're doing completely, or just someone who cares enough about you to say the right things when you need it. Well, and I, and I would even argue that like the origins of our show were Drew, Tanner, and I going out to breakfast, just to vent about work. It's pretty fair. Yeah. We would just go and be fair. like, let me tell you this story. And we'd be like, that, but, like, but, we now, but now the podcast become work and I have to find another way to vent. It's like an awkward, <laughs> you know, like the full <laughs> circle. It's the full circle. Know. Yeah. Well, Jude, Jen and I are going to get lunch right after this so we can vent about Andy. So yeah, so it's, it's going to be, and then I'm going to feel really good again. Yeah. It'll, it'll reinvigorate me. But there's other things we have to do beyond just having that that relief valve, right? We there are simple things. There's simple things that to maintain wellness at any point, which is when things are getting out of whack, right? The balance is out of whack. It's figuring out where where the wheels have come off a little bit. Is it sleep? Is it exercise? Is it diet? Is it just that work life balance and and keeping that 
in line is really important too. You have to have all of it, right? And just because everything is perfect outside of work doesn't mean that you're not still going to have that angst at work and, and find the burnout. But if it's not, if, you, if you've lost track of doing the things to maintain yourself, you can't continue to be highly functioning at work for a long period of time or highly functioning at home for a long period of time, which is equally, if not more important. Yeah. And I, I think to, to tie into that, it's the, when I found that it becomes a chronic thing, because there's the acute, it happens, I fix it. But when it becomes a chronic thing, it's because I have lost perspective on who I am and don't not to get too touchy feely, but I forget that I am not just an emergency medicine doctor. Like I, all of us have different roles that have significantly probably more value in the world than what I do for 90 hours a month clinically. And whether it's being an educator, because like Zach, I'm an associate program director and I find real joy in doing some of the nerdy stuff, replying to emails, going to committee meetings, coming with, coming with creative solutions. But being an emergency doctor allows me to do all this other cool stuff and allows the rest of my roles to amplify and be fun and fulfilling. And But when it's chronic, when it's a chronic problem, it's because I've lost track of that, that I'm just looking at myself as I'm just an emergency physician. Everything else doesn't matter when it really is the opposite. You know, I think at the end of the day, like, and, and it took me a while to find this balance. If somebody really asked me, like, what do you do? What I say is I'm a physician or something, you know, I do medicine, but really what I really want to say, I'm, I'm Teddy and Sophia's dad. Because that's actually like, that is the thing that drives me to be who I am. And I don't know if a couple of years ago I would have said that. And, but since I managed, I don't know how, like, I wish I could just give you all the magic sauce to figure that out. But since I kind of figured that out, and I feel a whole lot better on a day-to-day basis. And I think I'm a lot better at work because of that too. Jen's really good at that, separating her job from her identity, much better than I am anyway. I think that for me, parenthood really helped highlight that outside of work was going to be my priority. And yeah, so we sometimes have discussions about let's make sure our priorities are in alignment as a family. And I think that especially for me, figuring out of those things you listed, you know, sleep, exercise, diet, all of that stuff, knowing, so for me, it's sleep. 100%. I need a huge, ungodly amount of sleep for a human being. And you are a black bear (laughs) that hibernates regularly. If I could hibernate for about a third of the year and then still maintain the level of sleep that I require now, I would be (laughs) just an absolute delight. Uh, For Zach, I think that exercise is more of your thing. And so making sure that that and you address that as kind of the priority, the first thing I examine when I'm starting to really feel that burnout. And as you said, Andy, over more than one shift is, am I getting the amount of sleep that I personally need, which I'm very fortunate that my partner is like, great, you need a four hour nap in the middle of the day because you've just accumulated this sleep deficit. Wonderful. And as part of that, And as part of my shift to per diem and moving towards a better balance for our home life, I stopped doing overnights for right now. He works overnights. I used to work overnights and not all the time, but just doing those handful a month as a two EM physician household was devastating on our schedule, especially in terms of childcare. And as the hibernating bear of the household, I bravely volunteered to move towards a no overnight <laughs> so, state. So chivalrous of you, yeah. I'm, I'm known for my chivalry, yes. And so now I don't work any overnight shifts in the places that I work per diem. I just kind of opened with, listen, I'd love to work some shifts for you. I'm not going to be able to do overnights. And our entire household is running much more smoothly. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is you guys plan 
your life a little better to avoid some of this, you set a lot of boundaries, which I think is something that the four of us at this table at various parts of our lives were really bad at that. And I put myself as the, the, the king of that mountain for the group. Bad at setting boundaries, but it's important because you know what your triggers are. You know what leads to the bad days, the bad weeks, the bad months. And just being honest and saying, I, I'm not, if, if this is what you need, I can't give it to you. And then, but I've never found somebody where I work, where I've gone to them and said, hey, I need you to do this for me. They've usually said yes, because they want the best version of me for patients. They want the best version of me for my learners, and they want the best version of me as a colleague. And so I think it's about planning and then, again, setting those boundaries early and just being honest with yourself and others. So cool. What would be your take-homes to people if they were thinking, like, how do I manage, maintain energy? How do I recover when when my energy is poor? What would be your take-home to everybody? I think one thing that we probably don't do very well as physicians is delegate. And I'm talking about delegating this stuff outside of work that might be your triggers for feeling like your home is in chaos, your outside life is in chaos, so then you come to work and it it really doesn't bring you the joy. And so send out your laundry, have someone come to your house and make food for you, get more child care, have someone come and clean. And so for us, we don't do a lot of delegating, but the stuff that we do is so key to kind of keeping our wellness a little bit more well and keeping our burnout lower because so we don't do laundry, we send it out. It is incredible. And so I never come home to nine loads of laundry that need to be folded because we pay a shockingly small amount of money to outsource this particular problem because we both used to feel that we hated laundry more than the other person. So the other person should do it. And so we agreed when we became attendings that that was one of the things we were going to outsource. And we don't really out, we, you know, we have a cleaner come once a month. That's about it. We don't outsource that much, but we outsource a huge amount of laundry and it's really, like helpful for us. I need the details on that because that is literally like the walking problem with four kids is there is always more laundry to do. And it's like, if this just left and came back in bags that are folded, I feel like this would it's make my life thing. easier. Yeah. So I think delegating when you can is is really valuable and can help kind of balance out that the effort that you're pouring into work and feeling like you then have to go home and pour in effort to that. Since Jen gave a, a home life kind of answer, I'll give the work answer. When you're working like a bunch of shifts in a row, especially like talk about this with our residents all the time who have just all residents just kind of have a relentless schedule when it comes to working months in the emergency department, that when you're going to the emergency department every day and working shifts every day, and, and as a faculty, when we're working a bunch in a row, you're in it, it's hard to see the big picture. And I think just to mentally sometimes take a step back and think about what your job is the amazing, wonderful things you're doing, the skill set you have that the vast majority of other human beings don't have, and really taking a second every now and then to just appreciate what you're doing for a living and the honor that you have to do it, but also like how just amazing you are for being able to do it. And I think like if you take that moment, it makes it easier then to go back the next day when you're re- kind of reinvigorated and being like, this is an amazing thing I'm doing. And I'm like, actually pretty darn good at it. So I find that to be really helpful. That's a really nice answer. Mine was about laundry. Slam dunk. Got me there. Well, we appreciate Jen and Zach for hopping on for this episode. Drew, as always, thank you for bringing the spice. So spicy. All right. And thanks for sticking around all the way to the end of that EM over easy episode. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 
as well as on the blog site, emovereasy.com. And don't forget, the four of us, Drew, Tanner, John, and myself, will be live and in person at the upcoming ACOEP Spring Seminar in sunny Orlando, Florida, April 27th through May 1st. So head on over to acoep.org today to learn more about our two live shows and other great speakers from around the country and around EM. Until next time, thanks so much. Thanks so much.